0: bam bum bam 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 bum bam 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 bum bum session with the comic book couples counseling podcast i'm lisa gullickson hey i'm brad gullickson and each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm this month we're exploring our humanity as we wade into the muck with abigail arcane and dr alec holland aka the swamp thing from dc comics and we're applying commons let love have the last word to their relationship woes
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. I went ahead and kept that really rad, totally tubular, 90s Swamp Thing (laughs) cartoon theme on our show again this week. Uh, Frankly, I never want to let it go. I was trying to find a little more info about who the actual performer was on that
0: track. Yeah.
1: Found nothing. So, listeners, I need you to do some investigation for us that goes beyond our usual Wikipedia uh, archival research. Please find out who sang The Swamp Thing spoof of Chip Taylor's Wild Thing. I need to know.
0: That would be like if VH1 Behind the Musics were still happening, and they're just really (laughs) just scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm not
1: joking. I was online for like two hours, just continuously researching, mining information about that theme song, and I could not get a single name associated with it. Everyone has just
0: abandoned (laughs) ship. They just don't want you to know. No,
1: they don't. No, they don't. They're
0: like, this... 90s theme is a skeleton. I'm going to put that way in the back of my closet. And, and, and
1: you may have noticed or not when you listen to the intro of this week's episode, but I edit the theme. That theme is much, much longer and uh, very, very strange. Uh, Anton Arcane, Lisa, your favorite villain, does appear oh. lyrically at one point.
0: Uh, just like he is in the comics. He just keeps popping up. That's he right. cannot That's help right. himself. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, but it's now time to say goodbye to Swamp Thing. This is our final episode on Dr. Alec and Abby. And, um, yeah, these episodes have been great, but they've been a bit of a beast. Life has just been getting in our way from recording these actual episodes. Um, weird, sad news at at the start of this episode. But Lisa's grandma, Connie, has passed away.
0: That's right. So, actually, tomorrow, very Early in the morning, we are getting on a plane to go to Minnesota to be with my family. Yeah, She was 99 years old. Um, so she had a long and beautiful life. Uh, the last time I saw her was actually for my grandpa Joe's 100th birthday, and yeah. he is still with us, yeah. miraculously. Yeah, yeah. But she had suffered a few strokes, and she she really wasn't herself the last time I saw her. And I know that these last couple of weeks have been very hard.
1: Yeah, I was thankful to meet her at our wedding. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was such a great celebratory day. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get out back to Minnesota. But I'm, I'm weirdly looking forward to this trip. You know, funerals are always strange. But I kind of like them. I like getting the opportunity to meet more of your extended family, meet your cousins, your uncles, your nephews, all, the, all those folks. I, I, I kind of dig funerals.
0: Well, uh, it'll be interesting for you to meet my cousins because um, this side of the family, like, um, my dad was military. So we're, we're pretty much the only part of this clan that has moved out of this small yeah. town of Hugo, Minnesota. And a lot of people, like, live in that immediate area. Uh-huh. So... Uh, with this group of huge group of cousins that I have, like, we're definitely the weirdos. <laughs> well,
1: I imagine it's going to be a lot like when I would go to my grandfather's farm in Taylor, North Dakota, which is in size, very similar to Hugo, Minnesota. So I, I think I'm going to do OK, Lisa. Plus, I'm bringing a ton of comic books with me. So am I. So I can retreat into the corners <laughs> and, and and read some issues. Um, but let's get back to it. Uh Yeah, this episode marks our one-year anniversary of the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. Can you believe it's been a whole year, Lisa?
0: It's been a wonderful year. Yes. We have met so many cool comic book fans on the internet. Yes. Um, We have documented a lot of interesting things that have happened over the past year. In our relationship. In our relationship, but also, you know, in our... A professional relationship, going to Sundance, um, having a ball at Comic-Con, yep. all of that stuff. When so. we
1: kicked it off a year ago, I just did not imagine it would get as successful as it has already in this short time. Um, You know, we said this at the end of last week's episode, but man, oh man, we are so grateful to all of you out there listening to the podcast and chatting with us online, those that left reviews. We really appreciate that, certainly. Don't take that for granted. And it's been an absolute pleasure, and we cannot wait to continue the discussion into year two of CBCC.
0: I resolve to read even more comics. Yes, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I resolve to cover at least some aspect of Lois and Clark's relationship. I'm I'm not sure if I'm ready to do a whole month of stories around Superman and Lois, but I feel like we're getting close. And I know, Lisa, you... Are holding off on talking about Silver Surfer and Don Greenwood? Is twenty twenty the year that we we cover their relationship?
0: I, I I hate to like you know I feel like I'm playing pool and you're asking me to like point at the hole yeah, and tell you I, Bill, like yeah, yeah, yeah. call I can't call, call, call shot the, I can't call this shot nope. but I don't want to make any promises but um I, I I'm dying to talk about them <laughs> but I also want to do it when. Um, at Peak Podcast. Yeah, 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 Because yeah. I love that. That relationship is so special. Well, to we're going
1: to start next year uh, with some listener recommendations, some couples that folks have been begging us to do pretty much since we launched the podcast. So I'm excited for next month's episodes as well. Me too, uh, and
0: I like that um, for our January episodes, we're circling back around to X-Men.
1: Yes, 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 spoilers,
0: spoilers. Of yeah.
1: Of course, if you've been following us on Twitter, you know, you know that already. already. <laughs> uh, so last week we discussed uh, the Vertigo era of Swamp Thing, in particular the last four issues of Nancy A. Collins' run. And guess what? Nancy Collins, she listened to our episode and she left us a comment. Yep. Uh she had one um a, uh, what's the word I'm Correction. looking Correction? Correction? Yeah, uh, she wanted to fill in a detail, give us an answer to a question that we had in that episode and this is what she had to say. FYI, the in-laws referenced by Constantine Uh, that he makes to Swampy regarding Arcane is because Arcane is Abby's paternal uncle and possibly her biological father. Well, duh. Uh,
0: Well, I don't know why we didn't figure that out.
1: We knew that. I think we were overthinking uh, Constantine's comments.
0: Yeah, well, because he is looking at a couple, like he's looking at a couple while he's saying that. So that got me confused. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So there you go. And this is it. Time to wrap up our four episode arc on the romantic plight of Alec Holland and Abigail Arcane. We started in the Bronze Age with Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson's Monstrous Mockery of a Man, and now we're delving into one of the strangest eras of modern comics, the new 52. We're reading Swamp Thing, Volume 5, meaning the fifth relaunch of the series, and issues 35 through 40, Annual Number 3, and the Swamp Thing Futures End One-Shot which left me totally perplexed. (laughs) Uh, This is not our first excursion into the reboot that dared to rebuild the DC Comics universe from the ground up. We first mentioned The New 52 on CBCC episode 15, detailing Steve Orlando and Fernando Blanca's Midnighter and Apollo miniseries. But our much larger conversation on The New 52 rebrand occurred on CBCC episode 22, when we covered Jeff Johns' Aquaman and Mira storyline, The Trench.
0: Which we enjoyed a lot.
1: Loved that series. Uh, If you want to hear the nitty gritty of how and what The New 52 is, then I suggest you go back and listen to that episode. For our purposes today, the basic gist of The New 52 was that in 2011, DC wanted to reintroduce their characters to the world with a whole new slate of number one issues, basic operating order these days, and they use the Flashpoint miniseries to erase and rebuild the storylines and characters. What does that mean for Swamp Thing? Well, actually quite a bit. Uh, The Swamp Thing we knew from our last three episodes is not the Swamp Thing that we'll be following this week, uh, which I had forgotten and kind of seriously annoyed me. Yeah! Uh, But let's put a pin on that for now. Uh, During the climax of the Green Lantern miniseries Brightest Day, we learn that our Swamp Thing, the one from Nancy Collins' run and Alan Moore's run, was corrupted by an evil entity called Necron. As the plant who once dreamed he was Alec Holland, he now believes that he is Necron. A group of White Lanterns, similar to Green Lanterns but powered by the embodiment of life itself rather than will, battle the Corrupted Swamp Thing before He completely obliterates Star City. The life entity that powered the White Lanterns constructs a new Swamp Thing body to battle the poisoned Swamp Thing. Guess what? This Swamp Thing doesn't just think he's Alec Holland. It's determined that he is 100% Alec Holland. Our Swamp Thing is destroyed by the new Swamp Thing and sent hurtling to the depths of the green. Okay, Lisa. So that means common has a new hero to aid this week. Not Len Wein's Swamp Thing, not Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, not Nancy A. Collins's Swamp Thing, not Brad's favorite Swamp <laughs> Thing, but Charles Sewell's Swamp Thing. How's he going to do that?
0: I have no idea how Common <laughs> is going to inform this Swamp Thing because I really have felt since our first Common Swamp Thing episode that they were really growing in a parallel way. Mm. They were both... Um, they had similar hangups that they were dealing with. Yeah. And over the course of both of these storylines, they've been growing together. And now to have one of them completely erased by an entirely new being who is informed by a lot of the same history anyway, yeah, like I'm completely boggled.
1: Yeah, it's it's um, this Alec Holland, the OG Alec Holland resurrected as the Swamp Thing creature. I mean, it's like we're starting over with an entirely different series, but what makes it weird is that DC kind of wants to eat its cake and have it too, and Mm -hmm. still recall memories and emotional experiences that occurred with the other Swamp Thing, with this Swamp Thing, specifically with the relationship Of Abby and Swampy.
0: Yeah, so they try to like rekindle it, but then it's like completely weird. It icks me out.
1: It icks me out and aggravates.
0: But it shows that Abby has a a type.
1: Yeah, Abby does (laughs) have a type. She has a strong type. She likes her men mossy.
0: Anyway, the last time we checked in with Common in Let Love Have the Last Word, he started seeing a therapist named Susan, who helped him identify the relationship destructive patterns that kept his daughter and any potential romantic relationship at arm's length intimacy avoidance, love addiction, and abandonment issues, which were rooted in his relationship with his overloving, overly dependent mother and a distant ish father. In the final part of this book, Common begins to summarize and codify what he's learned through his meditations on love. We also have one more major revelation from his past that was a missing puzzle piece to Common for a long time. Mm. And he is still struggling to learn from and deal with.
1: Mm. Ooh, interesting.
0: It reminds me a lot of... Um, Like a comic book character. Well, yeah, that's true. Like, this is definitely a major reset
1: (laughs) for Com and the character.
0: But I was specifically thinking about the movie Honey Boy.
1: Oh, the Shia LaBeouf film.
0: Yeah, where he's, he's talking, like, the film is about how his childhood has informed him for who he is now. But at the same time, Shia LaBeouf isn't done yet.
1: Yeah, So, and so the end of
0: the movie is kind of like open. Right. The end of this book is also kind of open. Well, I kind
1: of like that because every life is a work in progress. Yeah. And does the Do you feel like, because I, I felt Honey Boy acknowledges that fact. Mm-hmm. Does, does Common sort of leave this story open purposefully?
0: He does. He still goes like, well, I'm a human being. I'm a work in progress. I'm not going to be perfect. And... He comes to uh, a place of acceptance Mm. in that. But in terms of creating a narrative, going like, okay, I opened this book with this issue that I have with my daughter— And that issue keeps bubbling up in each section of the book. So he
1: doesn't solve it by the end?
0: No, he doesn't, Mm. especially in a way that's satisfying to me Mm. as a reader.
1: So narratively frustrating.
0: Yeah, a little bit. But
1: that also goes to how we experience comics, right? Swamp Thing and all comic book characters are works in progress. Right. They're ever-evolving. They're ever- Uh, retrograding. They're ever progressing. Like, depending on who the writer is. But there
0: always has to be a part of their character that is essential and cannot change, but also is an issue. Because we talked about this with Spider-Man. Yeah, Where Spider-Man cannot grow as a character because he cannot get over Uncle Ben.
1: Right, right, right. Because if he ever gets over Uncle Ben, then there's no purpose. There's no conflict. There's no struggle. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, What's also unique about the new 52 ending, as we read it, versus how Nancy Collins finished her run on the character, with those four issues, the climax is Tefe being pulled into the green, Abby going off to live her life with Constantine's buddy. What's his name? Not Duran. I
0: feel like it's like Don. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, it's something like a douchebag. Yeah, douchebag, yeah.
1: <laughs> so she goes off with uh, magical douchebag and and Swamp Thing's left totally alone. It's a cliffhanger ending. Right. Where what Charles Sewell's trying to do at the end of his run is kind of bring a little piece to the character of Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, a totally different approach uh, philosophically as a storyteller. Yeah. But we'll talk about that when we get to Future's End.
0: But we digress. Back to Common. What has he learned over the course of Let Love Have the Last Word. Because of the work he's done with Susan and these chapters of meditations, Common has more self-awareness to the behavioral patterns that interfere with his love goals. For example, before when he would feel anxiety or fear pop up in a relationship, he would tend to blame the emotion on the other person. So, like when he would be in a relationship and he would start to feel the other person depend on him emotionally he would start feeling uncomfortable because of his overdependence of his mm-hmm. mother and he starts feeling that mm-hmm. responsibility mm-hmm. like before he would go like oh this person is smothering me or this person um loves me too much i i can't possibly love them as much and so he would take that emotion of fear and he would blame it on the other person now, he acknowledges that those negative pop-ups may be due to his own hang-ups, intimacy avoidance, abandonment issues, that are independent of the other person. He considers himself a work in progress and tries to keep his intentions in mind, not to hurt anyone, to speak compassionately, and choose his words with respect. Mm. Um, though, like, there's one ex- the example that he uses... Uh-huh. Uh, for a time where he could have chose his words with respect, I still feel for the other person in the relationship. So, oh, yeah? Like, so he's he talks about like how he likes to go to church alone. He doesn't want to bring anybody to church with him because— at, It's
1: an internal thing. He's having a conversation with God. But
0: also he wants to feel that part of the community without having this— other person he feels responsible for. That
1: seems contradictory. Yeah, so he uses that
0: as an example of um, when he told his partner at the time he wanted to go to church alone, he doesn't say like, and that was a selfish choice for me to make. Uh He's like, I don't think I chose my words respectfully enough Uh to tell her not to come with me. (laughs) And to me, like, if I was with Common, I would feel like a burden all of the time because of the way he spoke to me. I can't take you to church with me because I don't want to think about you. I want to think about myself as part of this um, Christian community.
1: That's 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 brutal. That's yeah. what I read that as being very harsh. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, hmm. common. We need to talk. I know. You know, because I'm not really a religious person, but that seems to fly in the face of the entire purpose of church and community.
0: Well, to me, like the Brad example of that would be like, hey, Lisa, I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And then i go, hey, I'll come too. And you say, no, I can't watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with you because then I'll be thinking about you and I don't want to waste any of my yeah, mental yeah. And capacity. and I never in
1: a million years would ever say that because when I go to the movies, I want to bring as many people as possible with me so that we can talk about what we had just experienced so that we can partake in the community of the church that is the movie theater.
0: Right, right.
1: Interesting. Good example, Lisa.
0: Thank you. Good bradding. He does come up with a few more commonisms about, like, rules for living. Uh-huh. So his first, he doesn't call them rules for living. I just does said that. Does he call them
1: communisms?
0: Uh, no, he doesn't call them <laughs> communisms either. But he sh- totally should. If I was starting a religion based on him, that's what I would call them. So the first one is honor your truth. This is a quote. Recognizing, speaking to, and honoring our truths is the correct path to fostering love and intimacy. He knows that if he is keeping in mind how someone will react to him, he's less likely to speak his truth, and he ultimately ends up hurting himself. Hmm. So I guess the example would be, like, he has to speak his truth to his partner, and his truth is, I don't want to take you to church with me. Yeah. So
1: we've had conversations like that in the past. You know, we've talked about oh gosh, how personal do I want to get at the moment? You can tell me not to include re- this. Include this yeah, or not. Sure. But like with your with your brother's veganism, right? Oh yeah. When he first came out as a vegan right before Thanksgiving, and he told your mom and how that that sent like a shiver of pain I- into your mom. Yeah. And When we deal with things like that regarding your family, we know that some of our points of view might upset them. We choose not to put any emphasis or focus on our belief system to avoid the pain of others.
0: Right, I'm definitely an avoider of conversations where you're not going to change anybody's mind. So for example, this might be a better example. My dad does not believe in climate change. He does not think it's a thing. And so- um, This is a
1: great episode for that. Swamp so <laughs> him. They'd have oh, yeah. a real conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I don't bring up- So I just don't bring up climate change with my dad. Because what's, what's the point? I'm not going to go like, Dad, I need you to know this about me. I'm a firm believer in climate change. Right.
1: But, but there are people who say your avoidance of that topic with your father- I'm is, not speaking my truth. Is not speaking your truth and is continuing the harm of- the planet
0: uh well, no, and it, but to keep it to commons point, like it is causing harm to me because when I when my dad, he loves to bring up that climate change is not a thing, sure and is. then when I stuff my feelings about it, I have less of a good time. Mm-hmm. and there are and I think that there are times where you shouldn't be responsible for taking that hit. like there there are bigger issues there there are things that are essential to a person's being that other people should know. Like, I think that, um, like, sexuality. Like, if your family
1: rejects you. You because
0: of your sexuality, yeah. that's a situation where you have to honor your truth. Right. Because that's something that's going to inform the rest of your life. But
1: if your family hates The Last Jedi.
0: Like, don't bring it up don't at bring Thanksgiving. It,
1: yeah, yeah. Even yeah. though they're wrong and terrible people because The Last Jedi is great.
0: <laughs> but Common says you should honor your truth all of the time, even if it even if it causes harm to the other person. And, and a lot of people agree with him. Yes. Um, the second commonism is understand that there are, that the bumps are part of the process. So when you're fighting for what you desire and want by speaking your truth, you're going to bump against other people's truths. So common sure. going like, I don't want you to come to church with me. And his partner going like, well, that hurts my feelings. Well, that's, that's one of the bumps, I guess. Too bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but that's how it is like there's not a smooth path to the journey of life so you're going to have to let go of your smaller worries so that you're free to take leaps of faith and that is something that I think I could do better like um let's let's bring this to like our writing right so um I worry a lot about, like, oh, man, is this article going to be good? Am I going to have time to even write this? Sure. And Or, um, you know, do I want to write this on your dad's laptop or do I want to write this on my – and, like, I always have that kind of, like, worries that keep me from doing something. And so I think that there is something to quieting the smaller worries and going just, like, I'm going to take this leap of faith. I'm going to write this thing. I'm going to make this podcast. I'm going to mm-hmm. go on a first date with Brad Gallucks and all of that stuff. I'm
1: glad you did that. Uh, side sidebar Lisa, why 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 is it an issue whether you use the repurposed laptop from my father versus your original laptop?
0: Because there's part of me that feels like even though your dad gave me this laptop, uh-huh. because all of his little pop ups come up, I feel like it could never truly be mine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah, okay. For some
0: reason we don't know how to to like re like erase everything off the old computer to turn it into my computer. So um I don't know if he well, we does this, how analysis, to do that. but we I just
1: haven't done it.
0: We do know how to do that? Yeah. I don't. Okay, well, b- I, but see, now the worry is, what if there's something that your dad wants well, on here? That's
1: why I haven't done it.
0: <laughs> man, oh, man. The next one is go to therapy. Common has learned a lot in his work with Susan. This is a quote. We're so susceptible to believe we know and can see everything that goes on in our minds, but it's not always the case. So speaking to a therapist gives you an opportunity to sort through what's going on in your mind Find new perspectives without burdening another person. Yeah. So that's the difference between talking over your issues with um, a therapist, therapist versus talking over your issues with a friend. Like when you tell your your friend loves you, and so when you're you're unburdening yourself to this friend, you're then sharing the burden with them. Yeah. Where with a therapist, they're professionally objective, yeah. theoretically. Yeah, theoretically. That seems like the dream relationship to Common. Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, Because
0: he does, like, whenever he's with another person, he now feels responsible for that person in a way that inhibits him.
1: Well, yeah, and he cannot share with his other person. It's communication. Right. We've talked a lot about that this year.
0: So to Common, there is no downside to therapy. Um, just give it a go. So this is another quote. I mean,
1: I think I would agree with that, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: But you've never been.
1: No, because I'm perfect.
0: I went to therapy... Um, when I was in high school, because I was having I was having depression issues and I was self harming and all of that stuff, but I felt like because I was depressed, I couldn't get the most out of it, because like one of my tendencies is just to tell the other person what they want to hear. So I just did that with a therapist, mm-hmm. where I feel like now, where I'm not burdened with depression and I'm also kind of a fairly self aware adult, I think I would na- I would get a pluses in therapy now. I, I would kill yeah, it.
1: I. I- like the idea of therapy if I had more money yeah I don't like the idea of spending cash on it <laughs> at our budgetary level
0: I don't know I think that it would be something worth looking into um, with our uh, uh, governmental health insurance yeah so yeah, yeah. I don't know maybe maybe one day on oh so this is a quote on one hand maybe it's not for you but on the other hand, you would have made one sincere attempt to work on yourself. So at least, like, even if if you go to therapy and it doesn't work for you, at least you can tell yourself that you tried. Mm. That being said, it does, like, a lot of people who go to therapy, say, like, it's like dating the first couple of times where you want to find someone you can really gel with.
1: You have to suss it out.
0: And to me, that sounds like a lot of effort for a person who's already depressed. Uh I I think that that would be hard. Maybe if you were, like, in, like, a a manic state, maybe you could go and date a bunch of therapists.
1: Uh, You know, there's got to be a Yelp for therapists, right? Yeah. References, references, that's important.
0: Okay, so the next one is give it to God. To Common, giving something to God is not to hand over suffering like it's God's to deal with, but rather take an experience and try to find God's lesson in it. For example, his mother once needed a life-threatening surgery for an ongoing thyroid condition. And it was really emotional for Common, especially when you consider sure. his relationship everybody's relationship with their mother. Sure. Um, but From that experience, it taught him about the fragility of life and how important it was to be present and live each moment fully. He also watched his stepfather, Ralph, hold his mother's purse while she was in surgery. Mm. This is a quote. Like a soldier protecting a queen's crown jewels. Isn't that sweet? Out of surgery, before she opened her eyes... She asked for Ralph, Mm. and she just wanted the comfort of knowing he was there. Mm. So I'm going to read an excerpt. I watched my mother being doted over by Ralph. I saw them differently. Maybe this is all it's for. Maybe it's this simple. For all the forgiving and the fighting, the mistakes and the lessons learned, for all the talking and all of that doing the work— This is where, if successful, we find ourselves at our most vulnerable, our most raw, waking up to life and calling out for our partner in life and having that person by our side fretting over us as we're quietly thankful for one more moment in love. Forty years together, nearly all my life, and for as much as I missed not seeing my parents together— It was only there in the hospital room where I saw for myself a worthy goal. What makes music and movies, success and art meaningful? Hmm. I don't know if there's more to life than this, but this would be enough for me if I were Ralph, if I were my mother. Hmm. Isn't that sweet? I love that. I love that so much. So in giving this experience to God, right? Putting aside his own personal worries of this is taking time out of my very busy common schedule to be here with my mom. I'm worried about how I would feel if my mom doesn't make it out of the surgery. I'm going to worry about where I'm going to eat next. I'm going to worry about when will this whole ordeal be over. He put all of that aside to be truly present at this very special time in his mother's life. And he learned something that he was searching for his entire life. Yeah. And I was trying to think about how this could be translated more secularly, like the idea of, well, if there is no God, what does it mean to give it to God? And I think that there is still value in going like, what is this teaching me?
1: I think to give yourself to the moment, to mm-hmm. remove your distractions from being present. I think that is something that I struggle with and think about often.
0: And I think that um, when we're reading comics or we're watching a movie, I particularly like to watch it and translate it into meaningfulness in my own life.
1: Yeah, you do that a lot. I don't tend to do the same thing, but yes.
0: And I think that I could do that in my actual life more, uh-huh,
1: uh-huh, going uh-huh. like
0: what how, what am I going to learn from going to Grandma Connie's funeral? How can I translate that into um, meaningfulness to my on my ongoing journey? For sure, yeah. up next is love and forgiveness. Quote, "Sometimes I wonder if love and forgiveness are two sides of the same coin. Or are independent things, but become so entwined with each other that they become inseparable. Because his parents split up when he was young, he was never witness to a couple working things out and giving each other heartfelt af- apologies that resulted in shifts in behavior. Oh. Did your parents fight when you were a kid? Ever? No, yeah, never. no, mine neither. Yeah. <laughs> like there were days where my mom would um, pout. Uh,
1: I mean, my mom was a master of the silent treatment. Yeah. And I certainly watched my dad upset my mother and her shut down, but not once in my childhood did I ever see them shout at each other.
0: Yeah, no. uh, Mine's the same, and what my mom would, like, she would be so, like, she would get so agitated, and then she would just leave us with dad, and um, dad would be, like, super tense, like, and he would go, like, let's all just clean the house. And so we would all clean the house. And then mom would come back with a huge smile on her face. Yeah. You know, she... I
1: experienced that during the vegan Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a lot. But I can't think if I've ever seen like my parents have an argument and then ex- later explicitly apologize and then change the behavior. But I do I have watched my entire life. My parents change towards each other. You know what I mean. Uh uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. Well, I mean, I think we've also seen us do that. Yeah. We certainly changed towards each other over the last twelve years of uh, r- of our relationship.
0: But uh, like, we're very lucky that our parents are still together, together. and happy,
1: and and uh, you know, and that I, the, the worst that it ever got were silent treatments. Yes, we're very lucky.
0: And I do think like. What what it is to a child to learn that there is a point in a relationship where you do have to give up the give up the ghost and, and split up. And I don't know, I, w- I sometimes wonder how that would have influenced my dating life. Like would I have broke up, broken up with boyfriends that weren't bad, but didn't quite work sooner And then I would have had more time. But you did
1: break up with them. Well, uh,
0: to tell you the truth, mostly I got dumped. (laughs) Okay. um, Good. Yeah. (laughs) But it is about like what is the behavior that's being modeled for you. Sure. Um, But uh, back to forgiveness. Forgiveness is a practice, something you have to resolve to do and get better at. Okay, prepare thyself for the huge life-changing, life-altering revelation that I teased at the beginning of our comment talk. All right, let's do it. While working on the tale with actress Laura Dern, he had a memory flash of sexual abuse from his childhood Ooh. that he had suppressed. He, At first, he felt betrayed by his mind. Like he was counting mm-hmm. on his mind to give him a historically accurate record of his life mm-hmm. and then to all of a sudden just give this mm-hmm. piece of his history back to him mm-hmm. as an adult. Mm-hmm. Before even talking about it with his family... He expressed what had happened to him through his music, through a rap. And, and those raps are te- uh, how he tends to speak his truth. He was abused by a family friend named Brandon who molested him on a tr- family trip to Cleveland. Hmm. So I have a, another excerpt I'd like to read. Even now, with the memories back, I don't hold anything against Brandon. Brandon. I wish it hadn't happened at all, and I don't know what it means to be victimized, to be a victim, but all I can say at this time is I don't feel like a victim. Maybe that'll change as I continue to reconcile myself with what happened to open up fully to the trauma. In other words, I don't know why it happened to me or why Brandon decided to do that to me. Still, I forgive Brandon for what happened. In speaking truth, there is also empowerment in deciding how I will carry all of this with me. I can decide how I think of him, of what occurred, and I can recognize the power of cycles. I want to be a person who helps break cycles of violence and trauma. I forgive him. This is love in action, and I intend to practice it.
1: Mm, yeah, I can't imagine. Mm. So
0: in choosing forgiveness,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he gets to define how.
1: He moves forward. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I try to practice forgiveness all the time. Right. Uh, but I, I've never had to forgive at that level. Right. I, and I really can't imagine what that must be like. To it's, practice forgiveness, to such an extreme event.
0: Yeah, and, and in in such profound retrospect, yeah. like he is no, he's no longer the child that was abused. Right. He is now the the man, the artist, the philanthropist, all of those ways that he defines himself. Mm. And so he has to like look back at his past and go like, how am I going to fold this into me? Am I going to fold it into me? As
1: a cancer, a poison? Yeah. A rage. No. Yeah. You don't want to do that.
0: Though you I think that if you Totally understandable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nobody would hold it against <laughs> no. you if you did. But I like I've been thinking a lot about like throughout our Swamp Thing talk about how Swamp Thing underwent a trauma, right? He was murdered. And coming out of that trauma. He was a different person. He yeah. was now Swamp Thing. Yeah. But
1: well, yeah.
0: he can choose how, uh, and we see him choose throughout the course of his story how he's going to allow Alec Collins to influence his present.
1: Yeah. It's, it's not, that sentence right there is very complicated within the new 52, Lisa. Uh, yes. Because Swamp Thing wasn't murdered, not the one that we knew. Yeah. He was born out of a murder. Right. Right. But this swamp thing this is dr. Alec Holland and he was murdered
0: yeah <laughs> but at the same time that like that that the memory of that trauma influences both swamp things
1: Yes yes absolutely absolutely
0: and what I'm just what I'm trying to say is you can't you can't really change your past what you can do is go like okay well how is my past? Going to influence yes. my present, and how is my past going to become a narrative that informs my future?
1: What am I doing now, and how is my past steering it? And do I want it to?
0: Right. I've even who's
1: at the wheel here?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think that by re like by going like, okay, I'm not a person by redefining yourself in the moment and going like, I am a person who believes in forgiveness. Therefore, I'm going to forgive versus let's let's take it away from sexual abuse and murder let's do it to something like that we experience on a daily basis like driving and experiencing and reacting to somebody else's selfish or terrible driving
1: In road rage
0: right so you you feel that flare of road rage and you go like am i the person who exists on the road to teach the person who just betrayed me by their terrible driving a lesson or am i going to be the person who forgives this person, Uh how is that going to define my present? And I think that like, there is something valuable to going, this is how I define myself. I define myself as a forgiver. Uh Uh I Uh design Uh myself Uh as a practicer of love.
1: Listeners, Lisa is not talking to you. She is talking directly to (laughs) me right now because before we came over here, I had another one of my little, like, not road rage. It's not like I turned the wheel upon somebody, but, but you, I got super pissed at how somebody was behaving behind me, and it was it was and and then I let myself uh, succumb to that anger.
0: But I do think that there there are like there's a couple of selves you could choose to be in that uh-huh. moment. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I agree with and you I th- intellectually. I agree with you and philosophically. I agree with you, but in practice, I have difficulty. Forgiving giving on the road, that's and road rage has come up multiple times this year while we've been talking about comic book couples.
0: Well, because I mean, it's a it's a perfect ex- yeah. it's a perfect example I of an, an, an unanticipated unanticipated uh-huh. emotional flare up because we are like driving, we are all experiencing we are in a life and death situation on the road all of the time, right? And so I think that that informs how large our flare-ups are. Because we forget while we're driving around, we're taking our lives and other people's lives in yeah. our hands. And the fact that we do it every day is insane. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But, like, it goes back to, that's why it's called a practice. Forgiveness is a practice. Because it it's like a muscle, and you have to, like, work it out.
1: Work in progress.
0: And, that, yeah. And so, Swamp Thing is choosing to define himself as, I'm now a... um. Guardian of guardian the green. Guardian of the green. Right. And that is how I define myself. And in defining himself that way, it changed his relationship with Abby. Yeah. Going yep. like, well, now you are no longer like, now I'm prioritizing this self, the guardian of the green, over this self, your husband.
1: Yeah. And also, Abby became an avatar of the rot. <laughs> Challenging.
0: Right. Challenging right. to be so- together. I feel like I lost my point.
1: That's okay. I lost it for you.
0: Thank you. So how do all of these commonisms, how do all of these revelations in the practice of love resolve his relationship with his daughter? I
1: hear that it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, His final chapter begins with another late night phone call with Amoye. She called him after listening to his album, August Green, to assure him that he wasn't a bad dad. She was responding to lyrics he had written. And so the here's the particular lyric. Daughter talks, divine order caught, me by the collar, what it was to be a father, made some mistakes, something I was good at, you take away the bad and you gotta take the good back. Which I interpreted, me the listener, I interpreted that his fatherhood includes the good and the bad, And to dismiss what he had done wrong would also undermine what he had done right. He felt in writing these lyrics, his music was guiding him to truth. My issue is, once he had this thought and he codified it into lyrics, he was thinking of his daughter. Why didn't he build that bridge and present his daughter with this revelation? How come she had to discover this feeling that he had about their relationship in listening to an album Hmm. that that makes me profoundly sad Hmm. and and the fact that the way that this is addressed as growth a little bit depressing Hmm. and i know that i like i'm reading common like a character in a novel or like the way i read swamp thing like i'm 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 only commenting on the material that's presented. I'm not commenting as on common as a human being, but as a literary character. Like to me, this is a moment of, oh, he really hasn't grown. He has really just gone back to his old habits of I'm going to take this emotion that feels volatile to me, and I'm going to express it through a rap, and then I'm going to leave it there.
1: Yeah, he's not done.
0: He's not not done. done. Um, ultimately she included her relationship with her dad as part of her divine, divine journey. She told him, you're the dad I'm supposed to have. And it was a profound relief to him. And it was that thought that he chose to end his book. Like the relief, he ended his book with the relief of his daughter going like, well, I'm me because you're my dad and you're the dad I'm supposed to have. And, and this is all part of. God's plan for us, the end. Mm. And just to relate that lesson back to Swamp Thing, in the final issue that we read, um, The Futures End, the Zoigama, Swamp Thing goes to each of the avatars and gives them something that completes them in a way that he can then get something from them. So he'd go to Arcane and- and Anton Arcane yeah. and retrieve Abby. Yeah. And one of the lines is, um, they know they will likely fail and then do it anyway. Mm-hmm. So his relationship with Abby in all of his forms has always been a source of great sorrow and great pain. Failure. And failure. But that. That love and that passion and that failure is part of Swamp Thing's divine journey. Yeah. It is, yeah. and an, that pain is essential to his story. Yeah. And so he has to do it.
1: Well, that's a question that comes up a lot in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not to spoil what's going on in Watchmen right now, I will say this in a vague way, but a question arises is it worth a journey? knowing it's going to end in tragedy? Right. Like, would you enter into a relationship knowing that 10 years from now, it's going to explode in the worst way possible? You know, we don't know how the story of Brad and Lisa will end. Hopefully, it will be better than what happens to Abby and Swampy (laughs) on uh, multiple occasions. Uh, But I would like to think that whatever pain lies in our future, all the joy and love that we have experienced before that pain is worth it. Yeah. It's a romantic idea, right?
0: Yeah. But it also goes back to um, Common talking about, okay, you have to get rid of all of those worries so that you are free to take the leap of faith. Like one of... like we avoid a lot of choices because the thing that we are afraid of is regret. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. like, um, going back and getting Abby from the clutches of arcane. Like if he goes like, well, arcane could kill me and I would regret that. Or arcane could kill Abby. I would regret that. Or I can get Abby back and we can have another romance and then ultimately break up in a way that devastates me. And I would regret that, you know, so.
1: Life is nothing but regret.
0: No, well, the thing is, uh, regret is unavoidable. Mm. So why worry about it, I guess? Mm.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Huh, 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 huh. huh. Well, should we get into the comic?
0: Let's do this.
1: So, the final evaluation of and Abbey begins. Uh, As we said, we're covering Swamp Thing Volume 5, Issues 35 through 40, Annual Number 3, and the Swamp Thing Futures End One-Shot. Get your copies ready. Uh, Written by Charles Sewell and illustrated by a boatload of guys, Jesus Sice, Javier Pina, Carmen Bullock, Ryan Brown, and Yannick Paquette. The overall story is entitled Season's End, and the basic premise is... Hmm, how the hell are we (laughs) going to do this, Lisa? Uh, We'll just use the descriptor that DC Comics does to sell the book. Here's their synopsis. Swamp Thing is about to meet the avatar of a whole new kingdom whose impact on the lives of all runs deep, the machine. But Alec Holland has a humanity the machine kingdom lacks, and that gives him an edge. Still, no man, not even a plant elemental is an island and Swampy must seek out his true love, Abigail Arcane.
0: That is actually pretty concise and accurate. But
1: this book really only covers that for like three issues. Oh yeah. <laughs> and there's so much more stuff going on before Abby ever shows up. Yeah. And I want to talk about how your reading experience differed from mine because I went ahead and read all all of Charles Sewell's run on Swamp Thing, and you read exclusively Seasons End. And you were totally baffled by the book.
0: I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> and I kept on waiting for the story to reveal itself to me. And it just didn't. Yeah,
1: and what's interesting, reading this book versus reading the last four issues of Nancy Collins's run, because neither of us read every single Nancy Collins Swamp Thing comic. Right. But those four issues were very contained and seemed to be completing a thought that Alan Moore had started with Saga the Swamp Thing. Whereas what Charles Sewell is doing is crafting something wholly unique, which took a lot more page space than what is contained in this single volume of comics. Right. It really took four volumes of comics <laughs> to tell this story, and you were deprived of
0: that. Yeah, um Sewell is clearly trying to do something very epic. He's trying to change the face of the life as we know it within the context of these kingdoms and this avatar thing where i'm really in there for the precious stories the the character interrelationship stories and um yeah he
1: he's he's yeah grand scale he's grand scale he's not small scale yeah uh you know he introduces all kinds of different avatars not just the machine but also the gray yeah. right and then at the very end of this volume He introduces what I'm going to call the art, Mm -hmm. you know, so like he's less interested in the coupling of Abby and Alec and more interested, interested in what you were saying earlier about the cycle of their relationship and how that works narratively.
0: I don't quite I don't quite follow that.
1: I, I mean that he's less interested in the personal exchanges between Abby and Swampy and more interested in what their relationship means in a grand scale.
0: Oh, yeah. How, like, they can't exist independent of each other in the universe as we know it can't He's a exist. big
1: idea guy. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't really actually care what they're saying to each other. Yeah,
0: how they, how they work day to day.
1: Right. And this volume is really finishing the thought that he started three volumes ago. So you're missing some crucial pieces there involving, you know, the Mistress of the Weeds and the Parliament of the Greens' destruction and whoever the heck this medieval knight immortal character, Cappuccini, is.
0: Yeah. I did have to ask you eventually when I was trying to, like, parse this material so it was meaningful to me, I did have to have you do some explaining and googling? Yeah,
1: I gave you some some wikipedia knowledge. Thank you my love. <laughs> You're welcome. But the basic gist is that this volume opens with an agent, not an avatar, but an agent of the machine known as calculus coming to swamp thing looking for assistance.
0: Yeah, well, less of assistance, but to be of assistance. Right. So the machine, as a young kingdom, looks at the kingdom of the green and goes like, well, this light is like a mess. And do you know what we're really good at? Efficiency. Exactly, so he's going like, you'll still be the avatar, Swamp Thing, but we'll take care of all of the annoying day-to-day stuff that keeps you from being what you wanna be, which according to A Calculus, is Superman. So this version of Alec Holland apparently wants to be a superhero.
1: Well, I love that image. You (laughs) do. I love the aspiration of Alec Holland to be the Man of Steel. And Jesus Sice's panel where he depicts a Superman swamp thing is truly beautiful because I feel like a muck monster who dreams of being Superman. So I feel like that panel really could be tattooed on my body. Uh Like I don't have tattoos, but if I was going to do one, it might be Superman Swamp Thing. Uh That really, really works. It is an interesting idea for this character.
0: Because it doesn't reflect how I have perceived other versions of the Swamp Thing. So like when we met Len Wine Swamp Thing, it was so separate from any other superhero comic. He had these powers, yeah. but he really used them to protect Abby, Len, he used- th-
1: Len Wine's run does bump into Gotham at yeah. one point, and Alan Moore takes the character to the DC universe. We meet Deadman and Batman and all those things. But he but, doesn't
0: want to, he doesn't seem to have that desire of being a hero. Well,
1: not only that, the Vertigo era removes itself from the DC universe. So when Nancy Collins is writing the character, Batman and Superman aren't even in his world. And one of the aspects of the New 52 was blending Swamp Thing's world back into the world of Superman and Batman and what have you. And the first volume of New 52 Swamp Thing is introduced through Scott Snyder's writing by Superman and Swamp Thing having a conversation Mm -hmm. and Superman coming to Swamp Thing and saying, I need your help. And so that starts a narrative that is starting to pay off here where he now really does idolize Superman.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, that makes sense to me. But for me, that panel is just evidence of like, I don't know this guy. I don't know this Swamp Thing. Yeah. He is a stranger to me as a reader. Uh, I do think that there is something of value, if we want to relate this back to Common, of a calculus going like, I can free you of your day-to-day worries. I can dis encumber you encumber you is that a word disencumber yeah. i feel like it is yeah, that's a word. i'm going to disencumber you <laughs> so that you can take that leap of faith and be the hero that you want to be yeah and
1: goals like that or um deals like that have been presented in fiction all the time and the characters should really be wary of such
0: arrangements yeah yeah, because generally the person is uh Mephisto.
1: Yeah, because Swampy and Abby's relationship also gets one more date all the time. So
0: heartbreaking. <laughs> so
1: heartbreaking. Uh,
0: the next thing in this first issue of Volume 7 that I want to talk about happens in the Grove, which is the earthly access point to the consciousness of the green, which makes me, like, why do we need a Grove? if
1: It's a bit of a backstep from what Alan Moore showed yeah, with the green. Yeah,
0: but... In the grove is Jonah who was a previous avatar and Holland goes like I met this dude he's from the she's from the machine they want to start a new kingdom they don't really want an avatar and Jonah is like this is going to be war doom and death get you ready nip this in the bud kill them right now and Alec Holland he goes Well, they really haven't done anything to provoke me to just kill them. I can't kill them in anticipation of them starting a war. But he's
1: wrong. Like, he probably should have.
0: But I I like that idealism.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Morally, he's right. But, you know, logically, Jonah's proven correct.
0: But this thread of this ideal and how it runs throughout the story and how it is kind of tied up at the end of the story, I think is really interesting. Mm.
1: You'll have to explain that as we get through it.
0: Oh, it'll it'll reveal itself through our conversation, I think. Because okay. I had this conversation with Jonah in my mind throughout the story, like going like, well, I know where this is going because this is a comic book. Uh-huh. The war is going to happen. Uh-huh. Is Swamp Thing going to have to eat his words and go like, I should really defer to the wisdom of uh-huh. these uh-huh. ancient yeah, yeah, avatars? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yes, yes, for sure.
0: So in the next issue which is an annual that's entitled All Stories End, My Friend. We may... Well, I meet Cappuccine for the first time. (laughs) That's how I've decided to pronounce her name. Cappuccine? Yeah, um... Italian. Yeah, I I kept
1: saying cappuccino in my head (laughs) because I'm terrible,
0: but yes. But uh, she's fighting a bunch of pink rhyming monsters and Swamp Thing is like, clearly all of these monsters have something to do with me. And she's like, no, they're here for me. I made this deal. I was supposed to only live a thousand years. My time is almost over, but I have some unfinished business. Whatever.
1: Yeah, the demon entrogate who you have encountered in Swamp Thing comics is on her tail.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, um... So she's in the process of dying and apparently part of their relationship is that they tell each other stories. So she asks him for a story and he tells her about a time when uh, soon after he became Swamp Thing and he was still living in Huma and he wanted to go to the movies because a third part of one of his beloved series was coming out. I love this scene. But he couldn't go in as Swamp Thing as like like a muck monster. So he infiltrated... Through the green, through a piece of popcorn. He's a little Swamp Thing popcorn guy. He is so sweet.
1: The art here is by Ryan Brown, and this would be my second Swamp Thing tattoo. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's
0: so, it's adorable, though I don't quite understand the logic of him going like, well, I'm going to be less conspicuous as a walking cob. Well, because he's tinier? I don't know. <laughs> the logic is faulty. And within five minutes, of course, someone spots him and freaks out, and there's a kerfuffle and all that stuff. Yeah, and he
1: has to leave the movie. He doesn't on, get to see it. And
0: on top of that, like the movie wasn't that great. Right. And But the quote that I find very revealing, and I don't know if this says something about Swamp Thing or if it says something about Charles Sewell, uh-huh. but um, the quote is... Uh, Of course, stories should end, him talking about the film. Like, the film was disappointing. And, of course, stories should end, not just another part every few years, over and over. He's ribbing sequels. They need to end. But
1: comic books are continuous. Swamp Thing is continuous. And that seems to fly in the face of what he says at the very end in the future's end one shot.
0: How dare you make that point? Because that was my point. That's why I picked out that particular (laughs) quote. Because... Through, and it's not just in this storyline. Yeah. Like, we also encountered this in Alan Moore's saga of the Swamp Thing when Abby pays a visit to Cain and Abel and she picks up that golden bracelet and is like, and the golden bracelet is a symbol of her story and Swamp Thing's story being part of this repetitive cycle right. that is part of the great wheel of the universe right. the wheel of the universe turns in patterns which
1: every writer of monthly comic books has to address at some point
0: right so like i find this particular piece of narration interesting
1: counterintuitive
0: because is this a indication of swamp things at this time limited view of the universe very human alec holland view of the universe of like life is moving in a straight line from a to b and a is birth and and z is death or b is death whatever like no and through the course of this story when he finally becomes the white knight He realizes we are part of this sacred cycle that churns our existence.
1: And you got to remember in the Futures End storyline that closes out this volume, that's set five years in the future. Right. So he has had a lot of growth, literal growth to go along with his philosophical growth.
0: Mm -hmm. But ultimately, this annual is about Swamp Thing's faith in humanity, and the faith in his friends, and the fact that he would do something as vulnerable as give his corporal form to a being who he knows has had a, had dealings with demons, and go and him going into her frail body with the faith that she'll return. Uh, And that kind of idealism is essential to this iteration of Swamp Thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Which goes back to why he aspires to be Superman.
0: And the issue ends with him taking her spirit and putting it into the green.
1: With Jonah.
0: And the issue ends with him mourning her and going, uh, you saved me. So I'm saving you, I love you, and I will miss you very much. Yeah. But then we literally see her in like the next issue. The like once somebody's in the green, we're going to see them all of the time. Charles Sewell's
1: interpretation of the green is sometimes like the Christian idea of heaven, and it doesn't quite work for me.
0: Yeah, like, or I, I likened it to Black Panther, and when they... Oh, they
1: eat they eat from that special herb.
0: Right. And so it's like this afterlife place where I guess we're or maybe Christian having the idea where we're taking these souls and we're just putting them in cooling until we have some kind of apocalypse. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) And the next issue starts off with Calculus and his cronies showing up and destroying the grove. And while war might not be officially on, everything that Jonah said is coming to fruition, and Swamp Thing knows that he's going to need some backup, and that backup is going to come in the form of Abby, who is now the avatar of the Rot. So the Green and the Rot are going to partner up and take on the machine.
0: Presumably.
1: Presumably. Because eventually the Rot says, Abby, you're a terrible Avatar and we want our Anton back and we will partner up with Calculus and his people. Uh, but until we get to that point, we have to have this moment between Abby and Swampy in the Rot.
0: And it's super awkward because, so you explain this to me, this Alec Holland had a relationship with Abby In his human form, In his
1: human form before becoming the Swamp Thing monster form, yes.
0: Right, which is bizarre to me. But then, like, she's clearly very meaningful to him, but they have not spoken in a long time. And the first time he's reaching out to her, it's for official Avatar business. Yeah, for a favor. So I like how they open up the conversation with Swamp Thing essentially going like, hey, Sorry I haven't called in a while, but you know, love, like, it's a two-way street. You weren't reaching out either. Yeah,
1: to really understand the dynamic that these two characters have, we probably should have read Scott Snyder and Yannick Paquette's new 52 launch, because that really was about Abby starting a relationship with this version of Swamp Thing, having had a relationship with the other Swamp Thing.
0: But Linda had been long dead in that version. Yes, yes. So, but I I do identify with the like, hey, like we were dating and we probably have some unfinished business, but now like we can't talk about that because I have to talk to you about this Well, they
1: get through all of that and they embrace and they kiss and because she is the avatar of the rot, her powers destroy his physical body, and he grows a new one, and he was like, yo, it's worth it. I can do this no matter what. It's not a big deal. But it's kind of a romantic moment. I like the imagery.
0: It's sweet, but at the same time, they're both unsatisfied with it. And especially as we know, Abby is the same Abby from before, right. right? yeah. And so we know how she feels about, or would feel about extra ver- versions of Of Swamp Thing. Duplicates. (laughs) Yeah, she's not a fan of the duplicate. Yeah, no,
1: and also, you know, for her, the height of ecstasy with Swamp Thing is eating that tuber.
0: Right. It's not just
1: getting a little kiss of lime. Yeah. So they team up, and the next issue is an avatar of the machine being chosen by Calculus and his cronies. It's the mistress of the weeds.
0: I love that her first order of business is like, they're like, great, you know, we weren't feeling so hot on avatars, but we've picked one. First order of business: uh, We're changing our name. I'm going to be Machine Queen. You guys are going to are the rhythm. They're like, why does this matter? It reminds me of like in middle school where you you t- tell your friends like, let's start a band. Well, and I kind of the-
1: find it weird that there's a human or a, there's a biological avatar of the machine. Shouldn't the avatar of the machine be some program somewhere?
0: Well, they kind of address that in like the first couple of options they explore are human beings, because it's the human being element that they see as the advantage of the other kingdoms. And so the first options they explore are human beings that are part machines. So they're like, how about cyborg or or machine version of Superman? Yeah,
1: cyborg Superman, Lisa.
0: Oh, okay, I could have put that together. (laughs) I could have done that math. But um, they ultimately decide on her because she has she apparently was the avatar of the green at one point, so right. she already has. Like they, are like essentially we got to pick someone who we're not gonna have to explain this whole, whole avatar ordeal because yeah, we got to gotta
1: get down to business. Yeah, of and we, killing the green.
0: And if and if the avatar has something against the avatar of the green, the more the better, frankly.
1: Right, 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 and that issue ends with her needing a general, and who does she get? She gets Anton Arcane to be her commander of the machine, and he has gone and found the bones of Alec Holland.
0: Which he keeps on his person at all times, apparently, (laughs) even while he's scrounging through the uh, garbage... Cans in Philadelphia.
1: And in what has to be one of the most disgusting things <laughs> ever, while the machine avatar is keeping Alec very busy by popping up all over the globe and he's stretched pretty thin, using all his duplicates everywhere, uh, the three of them, meaning Anton, uh, the machine avatar, and the gray avatar get down and dirty with the bones of Alec Holland also <laughs> and give birth to this new creature that is like a Frankenstein monster version of Alec Holland.
0: So gross. Which
1: is also still Alec Holland? I like, it's, now, I'm very confused by the biology of what our Swamp Thing is because he doesn't have any of the the pieces of his bones in him.
0: It's, uh, yeah, it's bizarre, and, like, he still has some kind of psychic connection to the, to the bones. bones because Machine Queen's like, well, now that we've done this, he's going to be able to sense it?
1: Yeah, yeah, somehow? yeah, yeah. So, once the Frankenstein monster is birthed from the bones, Alec is like, whoa, someone's messing with my DNA.
0: Yeah. So, but Abby is fighting alongside one of the versions. Of uh, Swamp Thing. Of Swamp Thing. Yeah, in the ar- Arctic. Yeah. yeah, in the Arctic. And she's like, uh, I kind of need your full attention because I don't have these amazing powers and I can't face. She has pretty cool powers, but I can't face the machine that, like, one of the calculuses has become this big, like, techno robot right. guy. Alec,
1: his consciousness is split like a hundred times.
0: And she tells, she tells him, like, I. Like, I can't lose you right now. I need you to help fight this thing. And she's she's proven right. She senses that she's losing him. And yes, he does. When he is finally confronted by the zombie version of himself, he is snapped back together in that place. And she has to fight alone, which I think is one of her greatest fears, maybe. Maybe that's why she doesn't want to be connected to Alec anymore, because Alec has this tendency to abandon her. Yeah. Yeah. In the shock of seeing the zombie version of himself, Swamp Thing is temporarily disconnected from the green, which is why he ended up popping away from Abby and leaving her alone. And while he's in that compromised state, Machine Queen he gives him blight from that that rot fungus aspect and has zombie Alec eat the corpus of our Alec, and um, and then the machines are asking the same question that I am as a reader, like, how does this serve the rhythm? How does this serve the machine kingdom? Because their original idea is, like, what we came here to do... Was to organize. Yeah,
1: this is why they shouldn't have had a a biological avatar. Well,
0: certainly not (laughs) Lady Weeds, because uh, she's taking all of this very personally. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is a revenge mission for her.
0: Meanwhile, Abby returns to Louisiana to see that the house is destroyed, and Holland is just like a green streak on the ground. (laughs) And, like, the saddest—and then Alec Holland says, like, the saddest thing ever. He's, like—like, she's, like, looking at his, like, rotten body. And he's, like, but look on the bright side— Now that I'm rotten, you can touch me now. (laughs) Which, adorably, I love that moment. And adorably, she totally ignores that. (laughs) She just lets it go right over her head because she's like, I've got stuff to do. We've got the world to save. No time for rotten cuddles. (laughs) Um, And he's like, get John Constantine.
1: Yeah, because just has how Anton Arcane has to come back into every Swamp Thing comic. You can't have a Swamp Thing comic without... John Constantine. And I think the way you feel about Anton, I feel about John. I just don't like their combo. I honestly don't really like Constantine as a character outside of Alan Moore's writing. I'm that kind of fan.
0: Right. It it like he seems to have very little to offer swamp thing, especially other-
1: in this moment.
0: Yeah, because like to me it's like it's like what bugs me about I'm going to offend a bunch of listeners, but I like, that I have against, like, wizardry. Oh. I have against Harry Potter. Because, like, whenever, like, so, Swamp Thing has this impediment. His body is rotting. So, instead of coming to some kind of real solution to stop the rotting. A, a he's like green, waved. green green beer. That'll sustain you until you can get back to the grove and whatever. Yeah. I think that's so lame.
1: But he get he does go back to the grove and he is able to reconnect with the green and he's able to rise up all the avatars of the past. And we do get some amazing artwork as a result, including like a William Wallace avatar, yeah. and a samurai <laughs> avatar, and dinosaur avatars. Like, I love all of that stuff.
0: Meanwhile, back at the Arctic, where the Rhythm has their service base, the Rhythm is trying to negotiate with the machine queen. Yeah. Because like destroying- They have regrets. Yeah, they have regrets and they're they're trying to team up on her and go like you give us our powers back or we'll kill you but they don't what they don't realize is she's become too powerful for them they can't stop her and she starts zapping the calculus is dead and calculus A which is the first calculus we met the one the one with the sassy mouth yeah he tries to escape And she catches him and then he's trying to be the smooth talker that he is. Like, I have so much to offer you. I will be of use to you. You just have to trust me. And what she says to him, I think ties into one of the greater themes of this arc, which is here's another lesson Alec Holland never seemed to learn, this is a quote. If your plans rely on trust, then you've already lost. So if we go back to when Swamp Thing first encountered the Machine Kingdom in the form of Calculus A, he chose to give them the benefit of the doubt that their intentions were not ill. Even after Jonah said this is going the the end result of this is war and it's going to be a lot easier to squelch when it's just a bunch of like high-minded Calculuses, right. like so this is playing out exactly as jonah had said it was going to and so will swamp thing will this ideal be dead after this whole story is done with will that ideal of trust above all other things, thinking the best in people above all other things, will that element of Swamp Thing survive through this?
1: Well, the element of trust immediately comes back up because he asks Abby to trust him while he goes into the poison green to go get his peeps.
0: Right, because he has his master plan, but it's so complicated and time is so precious, he doesn't have time to tell her. And she gives him that trust despite having her trust been like recently betrayed when he disappeared and left her with this giant killer robot.
1: Well, that's part of their dynamic.
0: It really is. But what I find so sweet is he doesn't think he's going to survive. He is not at full strength. Despite the green beer and her trying to pull the power of the rot to herself, He's he feels like he is dying and he will never see her again. So his last words to her to her are, Thank you, Abby. I'm glad we had this time together. So the last time together, they're dealing with this massive inter-kingdom war that could end the life of the planet as we know it. But he's
1: happy with this end.
0: Yes. But it's not his end. Like, I find that that's his common let go, let God moment. Like going like, I have all these peripheral worries, but the lesson- I want to take for myself is me and my true love got to spend time together, and isn't that a beautiful thing? And,
1: and yes, I agree, that is a beautiful thing, but it's also just like Common, where he's trying to write his ending, with which is impossible.
0: Or is it? Because later we meet the avatar of the art, and they're like, hey, we're going to give you the gift of writing yeah, the yeah, end of your story. Yeah, that's what Charles Sewell
1: wants you to think, but Lisa, it is impossible. You cannot write your ending.
0: Of course you cannot, but I'm just working from the source material here.
1: Yeah, 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 whatever. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, Swamp Thing, he's down in the green, he gets back down there, he He wants his avatars to come back out and fight in his army. But if they come out of the green and die on the surface, they will literally die, finish, will not return to the green. There's
0: no more cooler that they can go on and be put on ice until the apocalypse. Right. So he's asking the avatars to trust him.
1: Yeah, once again. Once once again.
0: And Cedar.
1: Who is the Floronic man from Alan Moore's run.
0: Right, he's the first to join and
1: not for not for Alex's sake.
0: Right. He makes it very clear, like, this is for the green. This yes. is not for you.
1: So they go off to war. And who's the first person that they encounter when they come out of the grove? But Frankenstein Holland.
0: Yeah. I In my notes, I call him Z Holland for Z- Zombie Holland. <laughs>
1: zombie Holland. And
0: Machine Queen has sent him as, like, this foreboding message. And he's like, um, Machine Queen told me to tell you um, that if uh, you mess with her, this is what's gonna happen. And then he pops his own head <laughs> like a bad grape. But Alec Holland, the Swamp Thing, does not seem bothered, uh, which I think is huge, no huge for his character, especially for this particular version of Swamp Thing. Who is Alec Holland? Those are his bones.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
0: I think this, that is a huge growth moment.
1: And we turn the page, splash, boom, Gobi Desert, full-on battle with the machine versus the avatars of the green. And the style of storytelling changes. Charles Sewell goes into very much a third-person narrative type of writing here.
0: Yeah, and it's even – it's represented by script. Yes. So you get the sense that it is being written – In time, by hand. It
1: is the most illuminated of illuminated texts.
0: That's right. And the narration is talking about the meaning and the impact of stories, which I find beautiful because it's kind of like what CBCC as a podcast is all about, right? It's like... How does reading these stories about these superheroes, these graphic novels, how do they inform our lives? Yeah. How does, it, how does reading stories inform how we think and how we choose to act and live?
1: Which is why I think that this particular arc is so celebrated amongst the comic book community because Charles Sewell is saying, like, this stuff is important, It guys. matters. It matters. It's
0: real to us.
1: So war, war, war stuff. We also have to talk about the original Swamp Thing appears, and he's like this blue. I
0: call him in my notes. I call him Blueberry Swamp yeah, Thing. <laughs> the,
1: the Blueberry Swamp like, Thing purple. appears. And they fight back to back for just the briefest of moments.
0: Right. Well, Holland asks Swamp Thing, our Swamp Thing, I guess.
1: Just call him Blueberry Swamp blueberry Thing. Blueberry
0: Swamp Thing. Like he tells him, like my powers are returning, but I just need a little act extra time. Can you? Can you? stall for me. And so Blueberry Swamp Thing's like, I got your back. And Swamp Thing flies off, and then Blueberry Swamp Thing is immediately beheaded. Yeah. if I wish
1: there were more stories involving the Alec Holland Swamp Thing and the plant that dreamed he was Alec Holland. I wish they had More resolution than this moment. Right. There's a lot of narrative meat to be explored there.
0: Yeah, I just, psychologically, the fact that they're coming from a shared history.
1: A shared memory space. Right. If DC Comics were to ask Brad, write your Swamp Thing comic, I would write a whole issue around these two guys, if not a whole arc itself.
0: Yeah, and I think that that story could be told in a contained way that would not spoil the overarching canon, but can address some of these issues that really leave us wanting. I'm seeing a
1: Black Label premium format miniseries.
0: Ooh. Call me DC. (laughs) (laughs) And what does that ultimately lead to? Like the most epic moment in this entire run where Swamp Thing crashes through the window of a library and he... Tries to suck the plant energy out of a book, but is instead sucked into the story of the book.
1: Yeah, which I guess I'm calling the art.
0: Right. I I called him the avatar of creativity, but I like yours better. I stole it from
1: Clive Barker.
0: Oh, oh, good job.
1: (laughs) So he enters into this, I don't know, this realm where he talks to a being who exists over all narrative.
0: Right. And this is a, a being of great power because he invites Swamp Thing, Alec Holland, to stay. He goes, you can stay here and let the rest of the story play out on its own. You've clearly done enough. But Alec is a guy of tremendous responsibility. He's like, I gotta go back out there. I've restored my powers.
1: And I got to face the machine queen.
0: But as Holland is piecing out, the avatar of the art does give him something of a timeline. And he's like, well, you don't have a lot of pages left. So you better wrap the story up pretty darn quick. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's a cool little device.
0: And it does wrap up pretty quickly because Mr. Scray and Cedar kill each other. Gurav, he was infected with like a like some kind of fungus. We
1: haven't even mentioned it before this.
0: Because <laughs> he's boring. He's a boring character. <laughs> Etrigan joins to fight on Swamp Thing's side with an army of demons because of some kind of favor. Jonah manages to restore the grove. Arcane flees. Holland and machine queen are left and he grows a tree through her insides and battle over.
1: And battle over. And he, uh, but, but he doesn't like completely eradicate her. He maintains the rhythm with inside one of those cute little robotic dogs.
0: Yes. And this is what I have been talking about of like the idealism of Alec Holland. Can that be maintained? And this is the evidence that he is a true idealist. Even though it is proven, like, Jonah was like, there's going to be this huge war if you don't squash the calculus from the beginning. Even though all of that came to fruition, Swamp Thing still gives the machine kingdom a chance. And he puts the machine kingdom in the, do- in the dog, not only to contain them, he gives them an outlet. Like, literally an outlet. There's a plug <laughs> going into the wall and, and says, like... You can rejoin and restart your kingdom whenever you're ready. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's up to you. How Superman of him, Lisa?
0: It really is quite big of him, considering that uh, a lot of terrible, traumatic, bad things came out of him trusting them yeah, in the first you place. Yeah, would you make this choice? Based on what you had just experienced? I would never be picked to be an avatar.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I would have uh, maintained the machine and the little robot dog, and I certainly wouldn't have given him an outlet.
0: Maybe logically you feel that way, but I feel like we as humanists
1: believe
0: that we should be trustful. (laughs) I'm just
1: saying a whole war just went down. Blueberry Swampy's dead.
0: That being said, like, I would rather die of trusting too much than living a life, uh, a long life of being overly fearful. Sure.
1: Okay. you Yes, I agree with you. That's, that's the Brad that I want to put out there into the universe.
0: Yeah. And as we know from reading Common... If we act as if that is so, that is essentially us believing that it is so.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I agree with that. And
0: it's a a muscle. It's a practice. It's a
1: practice. It's It's a a practice.
0: practice. Now,
1: that feels like the end of Charles Sewell's run, but technically it is not. We have the future's end one shot to discuss.
0: This issue is one that I understood 0% on the first read-through. Like, I had no idea what was going on. And because of that, I found it boring and confusing.
1: Uh, I also had difficulty with this issue. It is part of a mini series that was happening at the time where DC Comics jumped ahead five years to show an apocalyptic landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It, it It is hard to penetrate. And frankly, I didn't quite understand it until after your second read-through and you walked me through
0: it. Yeah, it's essentially a fable that comes to the same conclusion as from the Alan Moore issue where we talked about the golden bracelet.
1: Oh, the How- House of Mystery issue.
0: Right, it's a- about Swamp Thing re- returning to the throne of Arcane so he can retrieve Abby so that this part of the cycle of the universe can be restored. That yeah. this ne- necessary tragic tale can live itself out again and, and again. And to
1: do that, he has to have conversations with all of the avatars of the various kingdoms.
0: And give them each incentive. Yeah, rot,
1: gray, uh, uh, and and, and um, machine.
0: Right. At all all of whom take his incentive with the exception of the machine kingdom, which I'm surprised exists. Is that the machine kingdom from inside the robot puppy?
1: They took the outlet, yeah, I think so. Interesting. But the ultimate conclusion of this issue is the knowledge that Abby and Swampy will always return to this relationship, this cycle that will fail, but they choose to chase it anyway.
0: And that's the story of all life, all romance. Like even a quote unquote successful relationship ends with one or both of the members of that relationship dying.
1: Being human is learning to fail and push forward.
0: Not just push forward through failure, but push forward in anticipation of failure or with the necessity of failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. We need our art to show us that we suck but we still must go on.
0: Right, and that's it for season's end. I've got to ask Brad, how do you feel about Charles Sewell's take on Swampy and Abby? Or should I say this Swampy and Abby? Right,
1: I mean, I think I am still irritated about the whole new 52 reboot. I I would not have done it. And if you do it, I, I need it to be addressed more explicitly and Snyder's run does that a little bit, but I, I need, I need more blueberry swampy
0: it, <laughs> because it does feel like, uh, like, uh, we didn't like these particular aspects of swamp thing. We didn't like him uh, not actually being Alec Holland. I mean, the
1: new 52 is the DC equivalent of the one more day situation, right? So and for as,
0: as, like as people who really loved the Alan Moore concept of swamp thing, we're, like, our fifis are hurt.
1: Yeah, yeah, our fifis are hurt. Uh, but, but even beyond that, I like the big ideas that Charles Sewell is tackling in this story arc. I like the introduction of the gray. I like the introduction of the machine and the art. I think that's really cool. But if we're talking about Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane, there really isn't a lot here. Yeah. And when they are together, they are speaking in very plot-driven ways. It's not about their relationship, yeah. really.
0: I find myself really missing that melodrama aspect.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think I come away from these four episodes on Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane really in love with them as a couple. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying there is how they're portrayed in Alan Moore's run And Nancy Collins' run. I'm really looking forward to finishing up with my Alan Moore Swamp Thing comics, moving into the Rick Veach stuff, and then going over to Nancy Collins and reading her entire run. I'm excited to do that. I'm not excited about revisiting Charles Sewell's take on it. I'm a little curious to go back and read the Scott Snyder run. I did give that stuff a a pass when it was in single issues, and I think I will... Uh, after I wrap up the Nancy Collins stuff, revisit Snyder's work.
0: While we're not in love with all of the narrative choices that were made in Charles Sewell's run, and of course we're not, we're nerds. We're going (laughs) to nitpick all of these little things. I do love the overall message that stories are something that inform us and stories are part of the fabric of the universe. And... Stories are what project us forward through history. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like the fact that Swampy and, A- like, for the machine of the universe to churn, Swampy and Abby have to go through this cycle of dysfunction.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's awesome. That's awesome. awesome. I also have to say, Lisa, that I really enjoyed our journey with Common. I loved talking about his story and how it really did tie with Swamp Thing, specifically the Alan Moore Swamp Thing.
0: But also this Swamp Thing, because at the end of Common's book, in part four, it's mostly about The acceptance of, I was not a perfect dad. Being an imperfect dad is now part of my divine story. It's part of my daughter's divine story. I have to accept that failure as part of my past. And I have to accept it as I move into the future. Uh, And Swamp Thing also comes to the same conclusion. Abby and I, our relationship is going to fail one way or another. It is fueled by failure. It is our cycle. We have to, he has to accept that as part of his divine journey. So then
1: that brings us to the point though, where I ask you, what are you applying to our relationship having gone through this journey with Swamp Thing, Abby, and Common?
0: I think the idea of, even though Common used it a lot, in a, a way that I found self-serving. He, he tends not to judge himself very harshly. I do think there is value to self-acceptance and self-love. I do think there's value to not over-flagellating yourself over your flaws. Just going like, I recognize this cycle of behavior. I'm doing my thing again. What can I do right now to not judge myself and change my behavior. And from Swamp Thing, I feel like I've learned to honor my ideals, even if I'm not living in an ideal world. I think that can possibly go back to Common's idea of honor your truth. Like Swamp Thing's truth is, he is not going to squash the machine kingdom based on patterns of previous behavior and other circumstances. He goes, in an ideal world, the machine will peaceably become part of the greater kingdom that is our planet. And I'm going to act as if I'm in an ideal world. And when the world proves me wrong, it's not going to, it's not going to change that about me. I guess. I would, I would like to be that. I would like, sure. I would like to operate on the I exist in a perfect system. And when the system goes awry, then I'll make my decision. I'm not going to make my decisions out of fearfulness.
1: Well, that's the Star Wars thing, right? Anybody who tries to stop something bad before it happens is going to just lead to more bad stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Don't be Darth Vader.
0: I try not to be. What about you, Brad? What did you take away from Common and Swamp Thing? Uh, I mean, for me,
1: this idea about not holding other people responsible for your own feelings, I I, I relate to that, certainly, and I think that is incredibly challenging, and it is something that I have to uh, practice. Yeah. And with Swamp Thing, in particular to this storyline, I do like the idea of being aware of the narrative you're existing in. Mm. You know, we've talked a lot about narrative, you know, when we discussed Brene Brown and how you kind of create your own narrative and how that can be a negative thing. Yeah. But also I like the idea, the Charles Sewell point of view of this God's eye view, looking down at your life and the story that is being written and not necessarily being chained to that story, but just being aware that you are writing it.
0: It's going back to the give it to God idea of like, if I was reading the story of my life, what would be the lesson that I'd learn right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I loved my time with Swamp Thing and Abby. I am sad to see it go. Uh, I'm excited to get onto the next couple, of course. I always am, but I am going to continue my journey with Swamp Thing comics the way that I did with Aquaman comics. Uh, And I'm really excited to see what other stories I discover. And listeners, if there are Abby and Swampy stories that we did not cover over the course of these four episodes, I want to hear from you. Please let us know what are your favorite Swamp Thing stories. But again, specifically those ones that deal with Abby. And like Mira, I feel like Abby is a whole character that really hasn't been given her due yet. Yeah. I'd like to read some solo Abby stories.
0: Do those exist? I don't think so. Okay.
1: (laughs) All right. So we're done. Uh, On to the next episode and next week. Like we said, we are traveling to Hugo, Minnesota tomorrow. Actually, in like six hours. We've
0: got to pack. And literally, all we've packed is our comics. That is
1: (laughs) absolutely true. So next week, we're not going to jump right into our couple, but we will be back. We want to do a Best of 2019 Episodes. What are your favorite single-issue comics? What are your favorite trade paperbacks? What are your favorite podcasts? Comic book podcasts. That's what we're going to talk about on the next week's episode. And then we will jump into our next couple, who are Rogue and Gambit of the X-Men. Gambit! Gambit! (laughs) (laughs) That is a very inside joke between Lisa and I and a YouTube clip. Uh, I got to send some love to Apple J. She has been with us since nearly the beginning, and she has been screaming for Rogue and Gambit Comics. And guess what? We're finally going to deliver it for her. Thank you so much for your suggestions. We are using a lot of the stories that she pinpointed to us Uh, And we're going to begin episode one with a focus on three random X-Men comics. Uh, X-Men number three, the adjectiveless X-Men, written by Chris Claremont and illustrated by Jim Lee. X-Men number eight, and X-Men number 24, where Andy Kubert comes in and does the art. So that's the first episode. And Lisa is still working out who our relationship guru is.
0: I'm open to suggestions.
1: Yeah, send her some suggestions. So that's what we're going to do. Lisa, it's time to get out of the muck, time to free ourselves of the bayou. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you this week?
0: That is so sweet, Brad. I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, don't forget to email the podcast by writing cbccpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. And, Brad, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh,
1: you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork, of course. Head on over to iTunes, leave us a five star review. We'll read it on the air. We love hearing from you. So, until next time, keep your love tank full
0: and your psychic rapport open. Doopy <laughs> doopy.